I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and open them to Colossians chapter 2. If you uh, don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the rack in front of you. And Colossians chapter 2 is on page 834. So you can turn to page 834. We're going to be reading two verses. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Let's stand to hear the voice of God. Hear the word of the Lord. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You can be seated. Let's pray. God, I ask that your spirit would allow us to understand these words as you intended. And I pray that you would transform our hearts and minds accordingly. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Most of us remember back when our school teachers were trying to teach us how to write an essay. For some of us, maybe just a few, those are fond memories. For most of us, not so much. And especially, I remember being taught how to write the ever-elusive thesis statement, right? You're always trying to get it just right. That thesis statement was the statement that captured the whole argument of your essay, or all the logic of your essay, in one concise statement. Well, the verses I just read are, in a sense, the thesis statement of Paul's essay to the Colossians. This captures the heart of the whole argument of Colossians. In fact, I would encourage you to memorize these two verses. Because if you can remember these verses in light of the book of Colossians, whenever you come back to Colossians, you can go back to here and you'll be able to understand. So, let's just get a quick grasp of the logic. And, and it's really there in verse 6 in its entirety, though verse 7 expands on that. It says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, that is to say, as you began as a Christian, your beginning as a Christian, continue to live in Him. So as you began as a Christian is how you grow as a Christian. As you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue to live in Him. That's the basic logic. Now, um, when, when we lived in uh, Texas, we, Karen and I received in the mail a, uh, a letter from the Arbor Day Foundation that offered us for just a few dollars uh, to have ten seedlings of different trees, beautiful flowering trees, sent to us in the mail. So Karen and I, uh, at the time, just had two children, and we took the bait. And uh, we sent off our, uh, whatever it was, a couple of dollars. And a few weeks later in the mail came our ten seedlings, which we followed the instructions carefully and planted them in the soil. And uh, after two years, all but one of those ten seedlings was thriving, growing very well. And it came time for us to take these beautiful flowering trees 
and to move them to the various parts around our yard where we wanted them to take up their you know, permanent place. Well, we did everything by the book. We tried to follow the instructions perfectly, but only about half of the seedlings survived the transition to new soil. So, I think what Paul is saying here, when he's saying, as you began as Christians, continue, continue in that, he's kind of saying, don't be like the Seward's trees. Alright? Don't, uh, don't start in one soil and then try and move yourself to a new, new soil. The soil you were planted in is the soil you should grow in. If you take notes, write that one down because that's really what you'll hear me saying throughout the whole sermon. The soil you were planted in is the soil you should grow in. But that is not always the case. In other words, if, if you started in bad soil, that's not true, right? So let, let me just explain what I mean. So if, if when you came to Christ, your moment of coming to Christ was you know, whatever the environment was, you, you felt like your life was broken and falling apart, and you, were heard, you heard that Jesus could fix it. And you combine that, you had this kind of surge of emotion, so you had this mo- emotional experience combined with this idea that God, uh, Jesus can fix whatever's broken in my life, and so you came to Christ. If that's the soil you came to Christ in, which has a lot going for it, but it misses a whole lot of the gospel, then it works great for a little bit. But then when your life isn't perfect and everything isn't as they show you on TV, the nice smile and the thing on your teeth, when the emotions wane, you're back to square one again. Saying, all right, what's the next thing? So it's important that we understand what good soil is. In fact, Paul cares a great deal when he says this, when he's helping us understand this idea that the soil you were planted in is the soil you should grow in. He cares very much that we understand what good soil is. So verse 6 begins, So then, tying it back to the rest of what's been said, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. That phrase, he didn't just say just as you became a Christian. He said just as you received. Christ, Jesus, as Lord. It's a phrase that's loaded with all sorts of significance. Um, In the States, uh, you have one of the main political divides on the issue of abortion, whether you are pro-life or pro-choice. It's a hot-button issue that politicians uh, walk very carefully on the issue. If you have a pro-life politician... And he's giving a speech, and in the course of the speech, he talks about, quote, the sanctity of human life. That phrase carries massive implications to everybody who hears it, because you know he's taking a stand. It means more than just uh, human life is valuable, which everyone would affirm, right? He's actually taking a stand on an important issue. This phrase, receive Christ Jesus as Lord, is like that. It's it's a massive phrase that means so much. And Paul's putting it out there to say, look, I'm not just saying any start in something called Christianity is good. There's got to be good soil there. 
And so I want to dig down and get our hands dirty in the soil and start to understand what's being talked about here. So let's look first at that word received, just as you received. Now received means to make something your own. It's not just giving mental assent to it. But the way Paul uses this word elsewhere in the New Testament is very significant. Because elsewhere he uses it to relate to a system of thought or teachings that you take and you make your own. You, you program your soul by these truths. I don't know a lot about computer programming, but let's say you were reprogramming a computer. And uh, so you went about it, and, and by the end you realized, okay, I've, re- I've successfully reprogrammed this computer. Well, using the Greek word here behind received, you could say the computer has received the program that I've put in. So what we're talking about here is the reception of a set of truths that shape our very heart, mind, and soul. So it's interesting that that's how, if that's how Paul usually uses it, here he doesn't describe a set of teachings that you receive. Instead, he describes a person. Now that's a very interesting observation that we're going to comment on a little bit more later, but I want you to just tuck it away. Normally when Paul talks about receiving, he's talking about receiving a set of teachings, but here he's talking about a person. We'll think more on that later. But what is it that you received? You received Christ Jesus as Lord. In the Greek it literally reads, the Christ Jesus the Lord. And this phrase, though you hear Christ and Jesus and Lord all over the New Testament, this phrase, as it's presented, the Christ, Jesus, the Lord, is found only here in the entire New Testament. That sequence of words like that. So it's really important what he's trying to say. And I think what he's trying to say is what you need to receive is you need to receive the Christ. You need to receive Jesus. You need to receive the Lord. This is a theological statement about Jesus. So let's look briefly at each of these words. First, the word Christ. Just so you know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is actually a title used for Jesus. So, for instance, you might say Dr. Cunica, right? Or you might say, he's not here, but Reverend Brake. Those aren't their names. Or you might say Murray Hendry, Esquire. No, you're not a lawyer. (laughs) But um, you you see what I mean? It's a title. And it's a title that... um, It's kind of funny how we got the word Christ. It's actually a transliteration from the Greek. That means you take the Greek word and you try and make the same word sound the same in English. So the word in Greek is Christos. So you make the word Christ. You transliterate. But Christos means something in Greek. It means anointed. So to call Jesus... The Christ is to call him the anointed. There's a Hebrew word for anointed. It's Messiah. You've probably heard the term Messiah before. Messiah equals Christ equals anointed. And what it carries with it, the the idea it carries with it is the Old Testament promised one, the Messiah, the anointed one. Now, the anointed one in the Old Testament was a prophet. A prophet would be anointed. A priest would be anointed, and then particularly the king was anointed. 
And so when you talk about the Messiah or the anointed one in the Old Testament, you're looking for especially this coming king who would bring in God's good kingdom rule through a variety of things, including a rule of justice and peace, including a sacrificing of his own self for the sins of others. And I could go on and on, but there's this promised one of the Old Testament. So to call Jesus the Christ is to say he is King Jesus. He is the promised king, the promised, long-awaited, hoped-for king of the Old Testament. And then it says Christ Jesus. Jesus, translated, means Yahweh saves. And we learn in the Gospel of Matthew that God gave Jesus the name Jesus because he would save the people from their sins. In fact, we're told by the apostles in the Gospel of or in Acts, the book of Acts, salvation is found in no other name than the name of Christ. Jesus isn't just a metaphor for salvation. You can achieve a variety of ways. He is the one through whom Yahweh saves his people because of what he did, taking our sins upon him on the cross. And it says, receive Christ Jesus the Lord, or as Lord. Lord is uh, a word that just means one in authority. But also, with the background of the Old Testament, when Yahweh would use his personal name, Yahweh, they would translate that as Lord or Adonai. So for Jesus Christ to be Lord is for him to be the authority in our life, but he is the God who is our personal God and authority in our life. There's an old preacher named uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon from the 18th century, 19th century, and famous preacher, and he said this, it is interesting to notice that the apostles preach the lordship of Christ. The word savior occurs only twice in the Acts of the Apostles. On the other hand, it's amazing to notice that the title Lord is mentioned 92 times, Lord Jesus 13 times, and Lord Jesus Christ 6 times in the same book. So that's how the apostles preached. Think about the gospel message you hear preached. What's the emphasis on who Jesus is? The apostolic message certainly brought out the fact that he was Savior but this strong emphasis on King Jesus, Lord Jesus. So that is what we're to receive. We're supposed to receive Jesus, not just this person who did something some thousands of years ago so that I don't have to go to hell, but we're supposed to embrace him as our King, our Lord, our Savior, the one who is the promised one of the Old Testament, who fulfills all of what God said needed to be fulfilled. Now, um, when, I, when I go out uh, to work in the yard or to be in the yard, I kind of have two modes, right? So one mode is I don't want to have to take a shower tonight. I want to be able to make it to tomorrow morning, right? 
So it's the not get dirty mode. All right? And I have to flip a switch in my mind if I'm going to get dirty, and it has to be the I get dirty mode. And then when I get dirty, I get dirty. And I'm taking a shower when I get in. When we're trying to figure out what this good soil is, we've got to flip that switch. We've got to get down into the soil and get it all over our hands and our clothes and our legs. So we want to know what it feels like, this good soil. So we're digging in. Receive Christ Jesus, Lord. But there's even more. It's so important. I told you to tuck away this idea that it's normally received teaching, but here it's receive a person. This link between the teaching of scriptures and the person of Jesus Christ is so important for us to understand. What it means to receive Christ Jesus as Lord and the connection between that and scripture is important. So look with me at chapter 1 of Colossians. He's talking about the Colossians when they first came to faith in verse 5. And he says at the end of verse 5 that you've already heard about the word of truth, which is a reference to the Scriptures. But then he says this word of truth equals the word of truth, the Gospel. So the word of truth equals the Gospel. And then he talks about Epaphras who comes in verse 7, comes and teaches them. And at the end of verse 6, he's talking about Epaphras' teaching, and he says, and you understood God's grace in all its truth. So for Paul, the word of truth is nearly synonymous with the gospel, is nearly synonymous with God's grace in all its truth. And then go down to chapter, 25, or to chapter 1, verse 25. He talks about what he's given, giving himself to. We looked at this last week. And he says, by the commission of God given to me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness. That is the whole scriptures and the full depth of the scriptures. The fullness of scriptures. That's what I gave myself to. But right after that, he says, this Word of truth in all its, or the word of God in all its fullness, he says, the mystery. Well, what is the mystery? The mystery, if you keep looking in verse 27, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And later on, a little uh, further down in chapter 2, he says the mystery equals Christ. So you got the full word of God equals Christ, or equals the mystery, equals Christ. Do you see how these things all come together? When, When Paul's talking about the good soil, he's talking about not just understanding in some idea of Jesus. In fact, Paul will write to others and say, someone will come to you and preach another Christ. There's other versions of Christianity out there. There's other versions of Christ. No, the Christ that he's talking about is Christ Jesus the Lord. That is to say, what you are to receive when you receive him is Jesus as it's understood throughout all of the scriptures, revealing him as the king, as the one bringing in God's kingdom, as the one who can save you from Adam's curse that is at work within your heart. As the one, when you turn to him, you make him your king. You say, now I have a new life. Now I have a new king. 
Now I have a new heart. Now I have a new mind. Now I have new commitments. Now I have new values because I've embraced this Christ and have been transformed from the inside out. That is the good soil. And that is the soil that he says here in our passage in verse at the end of verse 6. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live in Him. The soil you were planted in is the soil you should grow in. So, if you've been planted in this good, fertile soil, and all true believers have, this is the soil you should grow in. Now, let me just make a comment and say, when I'm talking about Christ is revealed in all the Scriptures, when I'm talking about this full orbed understanding of Christ, I don't mean that when you come to Christ, or even when the Colossians came to Christ, you have a full biblical theology and you understand how it all hangs together in Christ and you can go to any passage and point to how that directs us to Christ or anything like that. Right? That's, I'm not trying to say you have to have a PhD to become a Christian. But these concepts need to be there in embryonic form. So we're talking about understanding Christ rightly, that it would be right doctrine, uh, the Christ as scriptures lay him out, as our king and our savior, as the one who the whole scriptures point to. And it has to do with... um, really making him your king, which means turning from yourself as king and saying, this is my kingdom that God's here to help me out. No, 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 it's the other way around. It's God's kingdom, and I'm here as a servant of him. So that's, the Bible talks about that as repentance. So right understanding, right doctrine, and repentance, turning from your own, your own kingship, you being on the throne of your life, to having Jesus on the throne, and then receiving him, allowing clinging to Jesus and allowing Him to start to shape you. That's what the Bible calls faith. So faith, repentance, right understanding of Christ. That's all we're talking about, okay? And at some rudimentary level, anybody who's a true believer has embraced those three things. They've repented and embraced Christ, the Christ of Scripture. So that's the good soil I'm talking about. And that's what we're to continue to live in. Now, verse 7 spells that out with four different aspects of what that looks like. The first two, rooted and built up in him, borrow from horticulture and engineering to say, basically, Jesus needs to be the sole foundation. That We need to be utterly dependent on him for our stability and for our growth. We cling only to him. But the third one is would be surprising to us if not for the work that we've done. Because it says you need to receive a person. You need to live in a person. You need to be rooted in a person. You need to be built up in a person. And then it says strengthened in, you'd expect Jesus. But that's not what it says. It says strengthened in. Look at what it says there in verse 7. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. The faith here, um, this phrase in this, in this verse means kind of a, a set of beliefs, a system of beliefs. So you might talk about the Christian faith or the Muslim faith. That's how the word's being used here. And if, so just to make that clear, he says, the faith as you were taught. So if Paphras came and brought the word of truth to you, 
That's what's strengthening you. Now, that'd be surprising because we're expecting in a person, in a person, in a person. We expect in a person here. But remember, we've seen, because we've gotten our hands dirty, we've gotten our, our clothes dirty, we've seen that this soil is not just Jesus as a person out there disconnected from the Scriptures. It's Jesus as taught in the apostolic gospel. Jesus as taught in the Scriptures. It is the faith just as you were taught. That is what we must be strengthened in. Now, that's, that's all fine. Paul tells these Colossians, you're in a good soil, you've believed in Jesus and the gospel as revealed in the scriptures. We've seen this thesis. How do I grow in Christ? I, I get what you're saying, James. The soil I began in is the soil I should grow in. The soil I was planted in is the soil I should grow in. I want that for my life. I want to be growing in this Christ. But how do I do it? What does it mean to abide in Christ? What does it mean to be rooted and built up in Christ? How do I do that? The first thing I want to say to you is one way to do that is allow the gospel and allow Christ to have increasing sway over your heart and life. Sometimes I think of our lives like a solar system. And you look at your life and, and you've got all these different things spinning all around you, aspects of your life spinning all around you. And it, sometimes it feels like they're all spinning out of control. And so Mars is getting out of hand, so you get your hands on Mars and start, okay, no, you need to be like this, you need to be like this, you need to be like this. But as you're doing that, you notice, oh, over here, Pluto, I think it's still a planet, or maybe it's not, but <clears throat> grab Pluto, and now I've got to get that one in orbit. But then there's a third one, I've got this one going now, so I can let go of it, and I grab onto this one, and I'm, I'm giving all this energy to try and keep things in orbit, and as soon as I let go of Mars, it starts spinning out of hand again. I think a lot of times what we fail to realize, we're giving all our energies to trying to get these orbits back in line. But really what we need to do is take that sun and make it bigger. Because when it has its correct gravitational pull at the center of our lives, all of a sudden keeping all the planets in orbit is much simpler. Christ and His gospel needs to dominate the horizon of our lives. The bigger Christ is to you, the bigger the gospel is to you, the more it holds sway over you, the more everything else falls into line. Now that might sound simplistic or reductionist, but it's not. It's amazing to read through the New Testament and see how this is the solution over and over that the apostles and Jesus give to all the different problems they face. So Jesus is dealing with the problem of an unforgiving his heart. His disciples are like, how many times do we have to forgive somebody? And he tells the story of somebody who's been forgiven this massive debt. And he says, when you've really been forgiven a massive debt, your heart overflows with thanksgiving. That is, when you grasp the gospel and how much you've been forgiven, you become a forgiving person. Or Paul in Philippians is dealing with the fact that these mature, healthy Christians in a mature, healthy church are actually in conflict with one another. There's a schism. And in Philippians 2, he says, do you know what you need to understand is the gospel? 
Jesus existed equally with the Father, but he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took the form of a servant and even went to a cross. And if you grasp that, you can have that mind in your heart and let his mind shape you and you'll be able to consider others' needs more important than your own. Or Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, whoever that is, he's, these, these, the people who he's writing to have just grown weary in the faith. Has that ever happened to you? You're trying to do the righteous thing. You've been trying to do the righteous thing and at some point you're like, okay, I'm ready to just tap out from this battle in righteousness and doing the right thing. You're weary. And so he says to them in Hebrews 12, consider Jesus. Look to Jesus who endured hostility. And bled for us. And he says, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood yet. So continue on. Or the issue of marriage. That seems like one that's just, okay, really, what does the gospel have to do with marriage? Paul's teaching on marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, and he stops and he says, hold on a second, I'm not even talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. And when you understand the relationship between Christ and what he did for the church and how the church as a result responds to Christ, if you understand the gospel, it actually transforms how you think of marriage, husbands and wives. Or I'm dealing with injustice. I'm in an unjust environment in the workplace or in my home or in my civil society around me. And 1 Peter 2 says, okay, those situations, look at Jesus who entrusted himself to the God who judges justly even while he bore at the hands of sinners great injustice. The gospel, the more it dominates your heart, the more you know how to walk. So how do I allow it to hold greater sway over my heart? Okay, James, what you're saying makes sense. I want Jesus to be like that for me. But how do I do it? Well, let me just give a couple quick things. The first is preach the gospel to yourself. Sunday morning should not be the only time you hear the gospel preached. And I'm not talking about subscribing to more podcasts or turning on the Christian broadcasting station. You need to be preaching the gospel to yourself. So you're a parent, and you're frustrated as all get out with your child because they continue to persist in the same behavior that you've been trying to address for two years now. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. If I had a dime for every time you... Right? And then you go and say, that is how I behave towards God. I persist in my thick-headed sin. And he keeps telling me over and over again, but he's gracious with me. And he forgives me. And he's patient with me. I preach the gospel to myself. When I'm parenting, when I'm in a relational conflict, everywhere, when I'm struggling with sin, preach the gospel to yourself. 
You have to be able to do it. You can do it out loud if you want to. People will think you're crazy. Or just do it in your own head and remind yourself of it. Go somewhere and pray it through. Pray through the gospel, but preach the gospel to yourself. Secondly, if you want the gospel to become bigger and bigger in your heart, listen to rich gospel music. And I'm not talking about gospel music as a genre. I'm talking about any kind of genre of music, style of music, that lays out the full orb, this good soil gospel. Okay, what is that, James? I'm not talking about turning, and, and, and if, you, if what you heard was, James says I need to throw out all my secular music and only listen to Christian radio. You heard me entirely wrong. Because I'd say two-thirds of the stuff on Christian radio is not rich gospel truth being sung to you. And I'm not saying that you need to listen to this kind of music exclusive of everything else. But what needs to be filling your heart and shaping your heart musically needs to be rich gospel music. So let me just, you can come to me for a list later. I've, I've found some that have been very helpful, but Indelible Grace is a group that does a great job of this. They take old, old hymn texts and set them to new music. Great group. Keith and Kristen Getty, G-E-T-T-Y, fantastic. We sang their song, In Christ Alone, earlier today, which is a perfect example of the type of music I'm talking about. And they also have uh, Before the Throne of God Above and a few other ones that are popular today, but all their music is great that way. Another one, if you've got kids in your home, younger kids, is Seeds Family Worship. Seeds Family Worship. They just take scriptures verbatim and set them to music so that you can be singing the scriptures together in your car. Those are just a couple. The third thing that you can do is be around others who delight in the gospel. Be around others who delight in the gospel. Again, if you heard me as saying, don't hang out with non-Christian friends, you heard me wrong. Because there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians who really aren't delighting in the gospel. So find people who delight in the gospel. What we normally do is say, okay, who do I want to be spending time with? It's the people who have a similar personality as me, similar interest in me, or whatever, same stage in life. So go find those people and spend time with those people. Well, go ahead. But if you're trying to make the gospel bigger in your own heart, dominate the horizon of your life, have greater sway over you, then find other people whose delight truly is the gospel and make those your good friends. And then from that base of strength, reach out into other Christians who maybe are struggling or non-Christians and engage those friendships from that position of strength. So, we need to give the gospel or Jesus increasing sway over our life, but there's something more than giving it increasing sway. We also need to um, increase in knowing his way. You like that? Increasing his sway, knowing his way. I worked hard at that. Um, we must grow in our knowledge of him. So if our zeal for his, him is growing, but our knowledge of the gospel is not also growing, we open the door to heresy. Think of it this way. The bigger the boat the bigger ba the ballast is, the more, you know, you need a bigger ballast for a bigger boat. And so as our zeal for the gospel gets bigger and bigger, our knowledge of the gospel needs to go deeper and deeper. 
All right? You told us how to increase the sway of the gospel. How do we grow in our, no, our knowledge of his way? What do we do? Again, I'll give you three things. The first is read the whole Bible. And I'd say, as you read, read books at a time. So read, you know, read Colossians, read Genesis, read Nahum, read, you know, whatever it is. Read a whole book at a time and read the whole Bible. There's great plans out there by a discipleship journal or there's something called One Year Bible or there's all these great plans out there where you can read through the whole Bible in a year. Now, yeah, you're going to get to certain things and go, I have no idea what it's talking about. I don't even know why this list of names matters. And you just kind of plod through that. And as you grow in your knowledge of the gospel, those things will start to make more and more sense how they hold together. But you at least want to get it in there so you have something to work with as you grow as a Christian, right? So read the whole Bible. And secondly, start seeing how Christ unites the whole Bible. If you can't read Leviticus, And have your heart being drawn to Christ and understanding how this should drive you to Christ. Then work at that. Come talk to me. I'll give you some resources or I'll give you some hints along the way. But you want to start seeing how Christ unites the whole scripture. So that as you read it, you understand Jesus and all his nuance and all the textures that are laid forth in the scriptures. And lastly, on on how to increase his, your knowledge of his way. Listen to good preaching. Again, if you heard me as saying, listen to entertaining preaching, listen to preaching that everybody else is listening to, that's not what I mean. Because there's plenty of preaching that isn't what we've been talking about here. What we're talking about here is somebody who will unfold the scriptures for you, the full scriptures, So they're often preaching through books of the Bible or they're often preaching through, you know, sections of the Bible in such a way that you walk away understanding the gospel and Jesus Christ more fully. There's lots and lots of preachers like that out there, but they're not necessarily the ones with the big names. Some of them have big names, but a lot of them don't. But listen to that kind of good preaching. By God's grace, this church will be such a church where you can hear that kind of preaching, but listen to it elsewhere. I made fun of podcasts a second ago, but podcasts are a great tool, or uh, if that's not your generation, there is some really good preaching on the radio or on television as well. Just make sure it's the kind of preaching we're talking about. So, if we want, you know, if, if, if what we're talking about here is the soil you were planted in is the soil you should grow in. We've seen what that good soil is, and now we know how to grow in it. We grow in it by in, allowing it to hold greater sway in our lives, and we, know, we grow in it as we know his way in greater ways. We know the way of the gospel, the way of Christ in greater ways. That is to say, our, our hearts are being more dominated by Jesus. And our minds are being shaped more and more by the truths of his gospel. That's how we grow. Do you know what that kind of Christian, that kind of growth, do you know what kind of Christian that growth produces? A doctrinaire, stodgy Christian, a pompous, puffed up, proud, elitist 
no, and no. Look at the fourth mark of this believer in verse 7, of continuing to live in him. Overflowing with thankfulness. When you grow in this way, you become somebody whose heart overflows with thankfulness. Somebody like Bev Comfort or Bill Springle or Jerry Kunica or Lloyd Smith or Nancy Potriff or Judy Loveless. I could go on and on and on of names of people I've already gotten to know in this church. Why? Because they're people who have allowed the gospel to take root in them and they've been built up in him. And when you do, you become a person like that who's overflowing with thankfulness to God and it affects everything in your life. Sometimes the old hymn writers put it best. Charles Wesley wrote in a hymn, Thou, O Christ, art all I want, more than all in thee I find. To that I can only say, amen and amen. Let's pray. God, help us to be people who know the good soil of Christ, the Christ of Scriptures and grow in that soil. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.